0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Finding OM, a podcast about mental health and how it relates to spirituality and science. This podcast is designed for those of us looking for the answers to questions about how we can incorporate spiritual and scientific concepts into our daily lives with the goal of improving our mental health and that of others. I'm your host, Dr. Prashant Sharma. I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm delighted to bring you this show. I know it's been more than a month since our last episode, and this is because I've been working on another project, which I'll be talking about later during today's episode. Right now, though, we have another topic, and I realize the title of today's episode, Is There a Hell?, is fairly provocative, which I didn't really intend it to be, but I couldn't think of any other title. This episode will be leaning heavily toward the spiritual side rather than mental health, but as always, we will find a way to tie together. So, as some of you guys know, I am very interested in the phenomenon of near-death experiences, or NDEs, because it can give us hints about the afterlife. Our very first episode was about NDEs, and I will be referring to the study I talked about back then. If you're interested in an in-depth analysis of that study, feel free to check out that particular episode. Anyway, on one particular day, I found myself thinking about one of the findings from the study. There was a subset of patients who described experiencing something very interesting, and I want to read you one of their accounts right now. One of the participants stated, quote, I went into a dark place with nothing around me, but I wasn't scared. It was really peaceful there. I then began to see my whole life unfolding before me, like a film projected on a screen from babyhood to adult life. It was so real. I was looking at myself, but better than a 3D movie, as I was also capable of sensing the feelings of the persons I had interacted with through the years. I could feel the good and bad emotions I made them go through. And there were numerous participants who described a specific type of life review, which is that they were able to feel the emotions of others they had interacted with, good and bad emotions, exactly how they made people feel during their lives. And so this got me thinking about truly evil people who are out there in the world. When they die, it is certainly possible that they would have to do such a life review and feel all of the emotions and mental anguish they cause to people over the course of their lives. One of the things I've never really been comfortable with is the idea of a finite heaven and hell. It's just too binary, positive or negative, yes or no. And it just doesn't make sense to me that there would be a judgment of a person's life just based on one life, which would then send them to either place for eternity. We certainly can't learn enough in one life to be perfect or enlightened or anything like that. At the same time, when we do bad deeds in life, how do we learn from them if we're never punished or made to feel what the other person felt? Well, in the life review, we can. And like I said before, none of us are perfect. All of us have hurt someone in life at one point or another. And we will have to feel the emotions of that person when we move on beyond this life. So what I'm thinking is this is a much more logical version of hell. Like I was saying before, truly evil people will have an extremely difficult time having to feel the mental and physical anguish of people they've hurt. So when we think about murderers or violent offenders, even more infamous people like Hitler or Bashar al-Assad, president of Syria or other human rights violators or war criminals... They will truly have a terrible time. And remember, the people in the study had these life reviews which seemed long to them, but in our world may have occurred in seconds or minutes. This means that on that plane of existence, time is not linear, or at least we can say it is certainly relative. So even within the span of a short time, the Hitlers of the world will have to go through years of physical and mental anguish based on what they did to other people and so this might be their hell. At the same time, it's not eternity. There is an end to the life review no matter how long it takes, and there will be a chance for that soul to learn what they did wrong. This means there may be redemption for even the most evil people in the world, which is really uncomfortable to think about, I think, for us, because we really can't imagine someone like Hitler being redeemed. Now, obviously, this is all conjecture and theories on my part, but interesting to think about. Now, on the topic of redemption itself, I think as a society, we do think in black and white when it comes to the legal system. If someone commits a felony, they go to prison, they come out, and it's extremely challenging for them to get a job. They would likely have to find a Pathways-type program of some sort, as well as an employer who's willing to give second chances. And then on the other side of the spectrum, violent offenders may be in prison for life or even executed. Now, why is that? Now, right, the obvious reason is punishment. But maybe, maybe it's an admission of our species that we don't have any ways to fix these people. We don't have a strategy to rehabilitate someone that violent. They are just too far gone. And look, I'm not saying we forgive them and release them. That's not what I mean. But I think we have to acknowledge that as a society, there are plenty of crimes that we feel people can be rehabilitated afterwards for. I think most people think so, especially when it comes to illegal drug use or theft, things like that. But there's a threshold where once someone moves past it, we just don't know what to do with them. So we lock them away, throw away the key, or we end their existence, which then means there needs to be some way to force them to learn or evolve in the afterlife. And this is where I think the life review that I mentioned might play an interesting role. We can think about the souls who commit atrocities as primitive beings who need to experience the full extent of the emotions of other people which would possibly allow them to evolve. Adding to the evidence for a life review is a phenomenon that has been described since the 19th century by physicians, which is terminal lucidity. Basically what happens is some people at the end of their lives who may be delirious because of their medical condition or medications or even people who have dementia, they may have minutes or hours of a return of mental clarity. Suddenly, they're able to recognize their loved ones, form complete sentences, say goodbye, things like that. I've seen this myself when I was an intern on a hospice unit in Ohio many years ago. It certainly is a very useful thing for many reasons, one of which being it allows the individual dying and their loved ones to get a better sense of closure before they move on. This terminal lucidity might be signaling the start of a life review because often it is during these times that people describe seeing memories from their distant past. Now, from a scientific standpoint, the cause of this terminal lucidity is unclear, but there has been a hypothesis that it may be due to discharges of neurotransmitters, which then act on some of the remaining circuits, of the medial prefrontal cortex and hippocampus, this promoting memory retrieval and mental clarity. This is untested, of course, but it is a theory. Another strong possibility is that during emotionally stressful events, adrenaline is released in the body, which can lead to retrograde enhancement of long term memory, so this might be happening. This is also why people with PTSD will have flashbacks from long ago memories because this adrenaline is being released and it's leading to this uh, memory retrieval, as well as hyperarousal and hypervigilance. All right, so let's relate all of this to mental health and well-being. So in general, I think that as humans, we are really tied to our physical bodies, and we all, at some point or another, fear death. As a species, we are very uncomfortable with the notion of impermanence. That everything in this world, including you and me and all the materials in the world, are impermanent. Plenty of people fight against it by amassing wealth or doing other things, but nothing really relieves the uncertainty. Because in the end, none of us know 100% what is going to happen after we die. Some people think they know, and they might try to enforce those beliefs upon others, but none of us know. We have plenty of theories, just like the one I talked about today. But again, it is unknown, and I have had plenty of patients who have a fear of death, or more specifically, I should say, a fear of what happens after we die. And I think that at the least, we can look at the evidence from the studies on NDEs, we can read people's experiences, and we can glean from all of this information that certainly there is an afterlife of some sort. And that there are common themes across all NDEs, regardless of that individual's culture, religion, language spoken, if they're atheist, And by the way, there were even people in the study who were blind from birth who still had the same experiences as everyone else. So there is a common thread here, a common thread that runs through everyone's near-death experiences. And it is hinting to us that there is something beyond these physical bodies. And maybe when we meditate on this, we can be somewhat more comfortable about our inevitable deaths. So those are some of my thoughts on the topic. What do you guys think? As always, feel free to email me your thoughts on this. As promised, I was going to talk about this other project I'm working on. And what it is, is an online course, specifically for people struggling with a specific phobia of some kind. So things like fear of flying, fear of heights, fear of public speaking, fear of death, fear of insects, fear of bridges, fear of driving, social phobia, agoraphobia, fear of water, you get the idea. Pretty much any phobia out there. And the course uses my AUM model, which probably sounds familiar to you. But in the case of my course, AUM stands for awareness, understanding, and mastery. Specifically, awareness of the mental and physical manifestations of your phobia, understanding the negative impacts the phobia has on the quality of your life, and mastery of a technique to get sustained relief from your phobia without wasted time and frustration. This AUM model is something I've taught to plenty of patients over time, and it involves an adaptation of exposure therapy that I've developed. And I want to bring this knowledge to a course that can be accessible by people online. So if you're interested, head on over to findingohm.org. check out my intro video where I discuss this in much more detail. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, visit our website at findinghome.org if you have ideas on other topics or if you'd like to collaborate. And the online course information is on there as well. My email is docsharma at Our podcast is available on Google, Spotify, and Apple. So make sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. For now, have a wonderful rest of your week. And till next time, friends.